Yes, good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? Good. How many of you uh, had a roommate in your room? Like you, yeah, yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. Anyone have a single? Yeah, okay, a couple guys had, hello. (laughs) Um, How many of you, your roommate just snored a lot? Yeah? Oh, just a couple guys, okay. How many of you guys sleep with a CPAP machine? Just Okay, me and Pastor Gene. I guess it's a it's an age thing. Um, yes, uh, just like Pastor Gene said, I'm gonna start out just uh, you know it's the morning, uh, it's a late night. You know we're just kind of waking up, so start with a very light and easy topic. We're gonna talk about porn this morning. Uh, turn to your uh, neighbor next to you and say the word porn. Turn to another neighbor and say 68%. If you're a note taker, you want to take some notes, I'm going to do rapid fire some facts and data and figures and statistics. 68% of Christian men admit, 68% admit, Christian men, 68% of Christian men admit to viewing porn on a regular basis. That's just the one who admits, right? That means 32% of Christian men lie on a regular basis, all right? Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, "Who uh, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Let's see if we got this, all right? No, we don't have that. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. What does he mean when he says that? Um... There's another statistic by this university said all men watch porn. University scientists launched a search for men who had never looked at pornography but literally couldn't find a single male. We're talking about lust this morning. Lust is a prolonged sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. So when we use the word lust today, that's specifically what I'm talking about. There's all sorts of definitions, all sorts of definitions, but what I'm talking about is a prolonged sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. Uh, you, you guys know um, I served as a, men past, a men's pastor for a number of years, and uh, this is a men's retreat, and, you know, we only have three sessions. Uh, we're already, uh, we, you know, we're two-thirds in, uh, and uh, this is just a, an issue. Pornography and lust is an issue I know um, that every man struggles with. It's just, you know, I was telling uh, Pastor Gene and Pastor Aaron, the, you know, I'm 48 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for uh, most of my life, certainly uh, all of my adult life, and the only one person, the one man that I ever met that said he never struggled with porn, I found out years later, actually recently, uh, two or three years ago, it's a friend of mine, and uh, he knows I'm sharing the story, Um, but... uh, the one guy who said he never struggled with porn that we were uh, we met back in seminary when we were in our 20s, uh, two, three years ago, uh, committed adultery with literally his next door neighbor, right? Um, everyone uh, has uh, lust issues. 
And so we only have three sessions, so we want to dive right into this. A lot of people say, you know, uh, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will? I want to know God's will for my life, right? Uh, Scripture says it is God's will. So here's God's will for your life. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Do you want to know God's will for your life? God's will for your life is to be sanctified, to avoid sexual immorality. Uh, several sources, including the Business Insider and ABC News, report that pornography is a $57 to $100 billion industry generating more revenue than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Crazy. Just think about that for a second. More than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. And according to U.S. News & World Report, Americans spend more money at strip clubs than at Broadway, off-Broadway, regional, and nonprofit theaters, the opera, the ballet, and jazz, and classical musical performances also combined. Conservative estimates say that 40 million Americans visit porn sites regularly, with 92% men and 60% women visiting in the last 30 days. Did you know that no less than 35% of all internet downloads worldwide is pornographic? Uh, perhaps more disturbingly, unless you think that the problems are you know, only out there in the dirty, broken, sinful world, right? Uh, just, just people that need Jesus. That, that, that's them. But it's not within the church. It's not Christian, uh, uh, Christian uh, circles. Uh, in 2017, the Barna Group published an extensive 16-page study based on a survey of existing social science research and nearly 3,000 interviews with Christians. And here's what they found: 71% of young adults and 50% of teens come across porn at least once a month, whether they're seeking it or not. Right? So you don't have to be looking for it. It's looking for you. Right? 40% of Christian males actively seek porn at least once or twice a month. Right? One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors report struggling with porn. One in five youth pastors, one in seven senior pastors. Now, mind you. All of these are pre-pandemic numbers, 2017, right? These are pre-pandemic numbers, and by and large, the, the, the understanding is that since the pandemic, those numbers have only surged, right? Yet what I find most disturbing, but unfortunately not surprising, is how only, this is incredible, only one out of two adults agrees with the statement, viewing porn is wrong, Right? Only one out of two say that viewing porn is wrong today. And that number is even less, one out of three, with young adults, right? So is it any wonder then that most teenagers today, so I have three teenage daughters, right? 18, 16, or 14, right? Most teenagers today consider not recycling worse than pornography. That's the world that we're living in right now. So just to put it this way, and I know many of you, uh, some of you are fathers. Many of you will be fathers one day real soon. And 
I've got these three teenage girls. And so what this is saying, now this isn't necessarily true in my house, but I can say, I could see this playing out in, in some of their friends' homes. What this is saying is, if any one of my daughters walked in my office and I was viewing porn, that's less offensive, that's less traumatizing them to them than if I don't compost, than if I don't recycle. Because most teenagers today think that not recycling is worse than pornography, right? Now, listen, I, I, I know, you know, Earth Day, very important, stewardship of the world, all very important things, but like that, that's incredible, right? I've been a pastor now for over 22 years, 23 years, and about nine of them have been uh, as a college pastor, a young adults pastor, uh, and or a men's pastor. And one of the top three lies I've heard over and over again, this is one of the top three lies that I've heard, is some variation of this. Ah, you know, my porn addiction... Uh, my, my dabbling and pouring a little bit here and there, it, like, it's, it's not affecting anyone else. It's just affecting me. This is like something that I do, whether it's masturbation, whether it's looking at porn. This is something like I do very much in secret, in the dark, when I'm by myself. I get it over and done with, and then I go about my day, I go about my relationships, I go about my life, and no one's the wiser, and it doesn't affect anything else or anyone else around me. And that is one of the top three lies I have heard in over 23 years worth of ministry. In their well-known, well-researched, now benchmark work, Premarital Sex in America, professors and sociologists, Drs. Euchre and Regner's categorically and quantitatively refute this exact claim and they show their research shows otherwise watch this bottom line they say and this is the i think i got a copy of the book that book right there they say pornography affects virtually everyone's relationships everyone's right not just the people who use pornography but everyone around them, every relationship around them. And they provide, they actually provide a number of empirical proofs. I'll highlight two right here. Number one, you may want to jot this down. Number one, people who use pornography have unrealistic expectations of their partner's physical appearance and sexual performance, right? So that's right off the bat, right off the bat. People who use pornography have unrealistic expectations of their partner's physical appearance and sexual performance. And number two, a significant number of male porn users experience a diminished tolerance for the difficulties of a real relationship. A significant number of male porn users experience a diminished tolerance for the difficulties of a real relationship. In other words, men in particular, the way that we're wired, in particular, we no longer demonstrate the fortitude, the strength, to, to stick out the most challenging seasons of a relationship, largely because we can find satisfaction somewhere else. And I can't tell you how much I'm seeing that come to fruition today with many men who are just a little bit older than you, 
a little bit uh, further down the line in terms of life stage. Maybe they're in their mid-30s, early 40s, mid-40s, getting divorced, and or, you know, they're just, they're, their marriages are completely falling apart. Uh, having kids is not a strong enough bond to keep that marriage together. They're secretly struggling with porn. They're, they're finding their needs and satisfactions melt, met elsewhere at their own time, in their own way, in, with their own convenience. And they no longer have the fortitude. They no longer have the will. They no longer have the desire to actually make things work in a real life relationship. Your brain, the chemistry of your brain literally changes. It's a drug, right? The surge of dopamine, the easy access, it's a drug, right? And so in case there's any doubt, we are living in a post-Christian culture with 24-7 free and unlimited access to porn, whether we want it or not, right? It used to be a, it used to be a thing where like, so like my parents, you know, typical immigrant story, right? They, they came to America in 1972. Uh, two years later, I was born. Uh, six years after that, my, my younger sister was born. My dad was like an electrical engineer in Korea. He was responsible for uh, helping bring uh, NBC and ABC to Korea. Uh, but he comes to America, and what does he do? He opens a grocery store. <laughs> Right? He's a convenience store, Kim's Convenience, right? Only it was K's Food Plus, Kang's Convenience uh, Store. But anyways, right? So convenience store, and, you know, it used to be that, like, the Playboys and the Hustler magazines, they were either on the top shelf, right, where kids couldn't reach, or they were actually behind the counter, Right, so you had to ask. Right, there's a fair amount of shame involved in that. Right, and so like you'd see like these shady guys come in, usually like right before you're about to close, and they're like, oh yeah, can I, can I get, you know, and one of those things, right, and you put it in a paper bag, right, and they go home and whatever. Right, now, just pick up your phone. Just pick up your phone. Twenty-four-seven access, all you want. We are living in a post-Christian culture with 24-7 free and unlimited access to this daily drug. So for the remainder of our time together, we're going to focus on three essentials to overcoming lust, right? More specifically, especially for those taking notes, we're going to look at what matters, what to minimize, and what to maximize. What matters, what to minimize, and what to maximize, Okay. So let's jump into this. What matters? What matters is God's standards matter. God's standards matter. The reality is if we had this one element in its rightful place, many of the situations and stats that I just kind of rolled over, they wouldn't be an issue. I, I, ours is a cultural problem more, uh, more than tradition, more than what's convenient or, or what we feel like or, or how we so wonderfully rationalize our way uh, into anything that, that we want or feel. At the end of the day, God's standards actually matters most. The Old Testament, uh, Old Testament psalmist put it this way, right? Many of you know this verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, for the psalmist, his value system, what matters is determined by God's word. 
not his internal whims or external world, right? So it begs the question, where do your values come from? It, does it come from within? Is it this desire that you have from within? Uh, are there external factors and circumstances? Have you, have you ever thought about this? Like, like what or who really determines what matters most in your life, even as it relates to sex? Is it your whims? Is it the world? Or is it God's word? Because if we're honest, the answer is not always so easy, right? Uh, last year, I was sharing this with a couple of guys. Last year, our church went through a super simple, easy, breezy, no drama whatsoever series called The Gospel and Sexuality, right? And in this series, we examine all things LGBTQ according to Scripture. It was five weeks, it was five messages, five speakers, and four live Q&As. The gospel and sexual. We still, to this day, I would say every, on average, every other week or so, it comes up. Either from a first-time guest that shows up on a Sunday who was a friend, had shared the series with them, or they heard about the series, or just two weeks ago got a call from someone that does a podcast, wanted to interview us about, like, how did we do this series? Why did we do this series? Any tips for other churches that might want to do this kind of series, et cetera, et cetera. We examine all these things, and what's interesting is one of the most common threads throughout the series, whether it was a, a heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, transsexual voice, one of, the, one of the common threads that we had throughout the whole series was the conviction that Scripture teaches God grants the gift of sex to one man and one woman within the covenant relationship of marriage. That was the one thread that we had throughout the series. So we had a man who had homosexual desires, but he nailed that to the cross every day. He dies to himself every day. And he lives under the lordship of Christ. We had a person who was born biological woman who then uh, had through a series of operations and through a series of uh, different uh, drugs uh, uh, became transgender, a man. And in that place, living that way for a while, uh, realize, you know what, this, this is not it. And, and, and even though I, I don't feel like I'm in my right body, I, I, I know this is not how God created me, and then detransitioned uh, back to female. Uh, we, 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 we had all these testimonies and stories of men and women who struggle with this real time in real ways, uh, but for them, what mattered most was God's word and his standard. Now, I don't know about you, but my experience is whenever any five people get together, it is hard enough to decide where to eat for lunch, let alone agree on anything as topically volatile as sexuality. Yet because what mattered most to the folks you see right there was God's word, not the whims of the world uh, or, or, or their, their internal desires, we were able to take some steps forward rather than 
backwards. God's standards matter. So let's talk about what to minimize, right? What to minimize. It's not rocket science, nor should it be. But like many other areas of life, finances, health, etc., you want to minimize risk, right? The Bible sometimes calls this temptation, right? What do we minimize? Well, minimize temptations. Uh, Don't put yourself in uh, compromising situations. Now, let me be clear. Temptation in and of itself is not sin, right? Scripture says that even Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So the question becomes, okay, so what do you do once you are tempted? Sometimes you're not even looking for it, right? You're just, you're just working. You're just on the, uh, on the internet. You're just driving down the street. You're not even looking for it. You see an ad. You see a billboard, whatever, whatever. You're not even looking for it. The Apostle Paul provides us with some hope. He says this, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man, right? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the uh, temptation, he also provides the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, right? Martin Luther put it this way. Temptations, of course, cannot be avoided, but because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our heads, there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair, right? It's one thing to have the temptation fly over your head. It's another thing to have it nest in your hair, right, to dwell on it, right, to, to, to keep thinking about it, to, to, to let, allow it to settle in your head. Do temptations come? Yes, absolutely, many times uninvited, but we're supposed to let them pass. Don't welcome them into your head space. Remember, lust is a prolonged sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. The key word there is prolonged, right? So when, not if, but when uh, you're, you, 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 the, the web of lust sort of entraps you, encases you, don't stay there. Move. Get, get out of there. Uh, get out of the room. Call up a friend. Text somebody. Right? Pray. It's interesting, right? Because with most temptation scenes in the Bible, the advice is always be strong. Stand firm, right? Stand up, fight, right? But when it actually comes to sexual temptations, do you know what the advice is? The advice in scripture is to run, flee. Don't even bother, just go. Stop kidding yourself. We actually see a great example of this in the Old Testament, the way Joseph dealt with the advances of Potiphar's wife, yeah? One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside, She, that is Potiphar's wife, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Very subtle, yeah? Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Some of you need to run out of the house. Notice what it doesn't say is, it doesn't say that Joseph was like, oh, no, and tried to rationalize it or talk his way out of it or just kind of reason with her, reason with the, no, no, no. He left it there. He just left his and just ran, ran out of the house. Some of you just need to run out of the house. Take the app off your phone. Maybe throw away your phone. 
It's that type of zeal and determination of heart, by the way, which is later echoed in the New Testament words of Jesus. And it says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire, which actually leads us to our last point. And in some ways, the most important, and that is what to maximize, what to maximize, what to make much of, what to magnify. And the answer is we, we must maximize, we must make much of Jesus and the message of the cross. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed, well, yeah, we can put that over there. Have you ever noticed that this dynamic happens, right? Before you sin, there's this voice inside of you that says, ah, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. What's the big deal? It's not going to affect anybody. No one will know, right? Before you sin, when you're dealing with the temptation, that voice says, don't worry. It's okay. It's not a big deal. What happens after you sin? What happens if you listen to that voice that told you it wasn't a big deal, and you give in, and you sin? What happens? The voice changes. You're such a loser. Like, seriously, we're here again? How how could you let this happen? When are you going to learn? When are you going to change? Like, this is going to be your life? How long have you been struggling with this? All the time? Dude, God does not. What's God going to do with you? He doesn't love you. How can he love that? Right? Before we sin, that voice always makes very little of the sin. After we sin, it makes that sin everything. And you are such a loser. Guys, we need to deliberately amplify Jesus Christ and the cross. We need to deliberately amplify, maximize the voice of the Father. The Old Testament prophet Micah put it this way, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. I don't deny it. I admit it. I've sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, which Christ has done on the cross, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. See, guys, the issue is not just how to not fail. Because then that would just be risk management. That would just be behavior modification. That's not the gospel. The issue is not just, oh man, how do I stop jerking off? Oh my gosh, how do I stop looking at porn? That's not the issue. That's just risk management. 
That's just behavior modification. What is the real issue? The real issue is how do I deal with this failure? What, what, what do I need to maximize here? I appreciate the way that author and pastor John Piper put it. You can have your different opinions about him and his ministry and whatnot, but I do appreciate this piece. He says, the great tragedy is not mainly pornography or masturbation or fornication. The tragedy is that Satan uses the guilt of these failures to strip you of every radical dream you ever had or might have and in its place gives you a happy, safe, secure American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair, wrinkled and useless, leaving a big fat inheritance to your middle-aged children to confirm them in their worldliness. That is the main tragedy, a wasted worldly success. Another man of subtleties. But he continues. What breaks my heart today is not mainly that you have sinned sexually, but that this morning Satan took your 2 a.m. encounter, whether on TV, your laptop, your phone, doesn't matter, and told you, see? See? You're a loser. You may as well not even go to worship. There's no way you're going to make any serious commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. You may as well buy yourself a big, fat, wide screen and watch sex till you drop. Piper says, I, I want to take that weapon out of his hand. I want to take that weapon out of Satan's hand. And he concludes, the distinguishing mark of saving faith is not perfection. One more time. The distinguishing mark of faith is not perfection. The mark of faith is not that I never sin sexually. The mark of faith is that I fight. The mark of faith is that I fight. And now watch this magnification that we're talking about, right? He says, I fight anything that dims my sight of Jesus as my glorious Savior. I fight anything that diminishes the fullness of the Lordship in my life. I fight anything that threatens to replace Jesus as the supreme treasure of my life. Anything that stands between me and receiving Jesus, faith fights. Not with fists or knives or guns or bombs, but with the truth of Christ. Friends, that's what I mean by magnification. And that's how we can come alongside the prophet, the prophet Micah and declare, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. Guys, when you learn to deal not just with the failure, but also with the guilt and shame that comes along with the failure, when you learn to deal with the guilt and shame that comes along with the failure by magnifying the life and work of Jesus Christ, you will actually fall less because Christ is magnified in you. Rejoice not over me, O oh my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, this is this is a topic, Lord, that is just um, it's insidious how pervasive uh, the issue of lust and uh, the topic of pornography and the secrecy involved in it, the darkness that is involved in it, the the pervasive power that it has in our lives and in the lives and the relationships of all those around us, God. Um, Lord, we want to just call it out, and we want we are asking for your spirit to help drag it out of the darkness and into the light. Lord, this is part of what men do. Lord, we fight. We drag things out into the light. We lay them before you. We are honest and even candid with ourselves. Lord, I pray for um, a spirit of candor in this place amongst these men. I pray that you would show each man here that candor is kindness, Lord, uh, and help us to deal in an authentic way uh, with some of these things that we may struggle with, Lord. Uh, and I pray, Father, that in that process, uh, your son would be magnified, Lord, that your word would be magnified, that your spirit uh, in us, uh, Lord, would continue to have its way and, and, and bring to completion the good work that you have already begun in us, Lord. If we have failed, Lord, we pray that you would help us to rise in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.